Well, church, let me encourage you now, if I can, to to grab your Bible and to join me in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 2 is where we are spending some time looking at this beautiful, beautiful gift of Christmas that is laid before us in Luke chapter 2. If if you're here today and don't have a Bible, we've got them all over the room. And and we just want to encourage you to grab one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you so you can follow along with us as we walk through this time together. As you turn there, I just want to say personally, what what a gift it was to to sing those last two songs and to be reminded here in the midst of the Christmas season of exactly why Jesus came. We we, we certainly know that there is so much to celebrate here at Christmas and there is so much to celebrate in the way the story of Christmas plays out that we're going to be looking at in Luke 2. But we also need to be reminded that when Jesus came, he came with a purpose. When Jesus came, he came with a mission and the cross was ever before him. And that is the good news that we celebrate, that Christ came to give his life and to go to the cross so that you and I could receive the gift of salvation, the gift of the gospel, the gift of forgiveness of sin and life with the King forevermore. What a gift, what what a privilege to sing those songs at Christmas. Now, we're gonna turn our attention today specifically to, to the birth announcement of the Savior that is made to a group of shepherds. And, and I'm sure if you've, if you've seen the nativity scene and, and even watched Christmas movies, you, you've seen a version of this play out in some form or fashion, but, but you may be a little bit surprised at some of what the Word of God reveals in a very familiar scene of the angels and the shepherds. So let's look at that first together and then we'll be talking about it throughout this message. Luke chapter two, verse eight is where I'll begin. And I wanna invite you to stand with me if you're willing and able. This is something we do every week. If you're new to Shades or if you're joining us online, this has become our, our normal practice to stand for the reading of God's word. And the reason we do that is so that each and every Sunday as we gather, we can be reminded that the foundation for the people of God, the foundation for the church of Jesus Christ is the inerrant, unchangeable, infallible word of God that is the solid rock beneath our feet. And so we stand to be reminded that the word of God is what we are built upon as the people of God. What God says is right, and good and true. So listen to the word of the Lord laying before us the good news of the birth announcement at Christmas. It says in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy for all the people. This is the word of the Lord at Christmas. Would you pray with me as we consider God's word together and then we'll be be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we stand before you in this Christmas season, There is so much 
going on around us, so much going on in our stories, so many things that that we're trying to do in this busy month of December. And Lord, I praise your holy name that you have given us this, this sacred time together to pause and to consider your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us Open our hearts to receive what what you know we need to see in the midst of this Christmas season. Use this day, use this word to speak into our lives for your glory and for our good. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. We see so many different images of the shepherds at Christmas. Whether it's a a beautiful nativity scene set up with, with the characters of the Christmas story that the Word of God reveals to us, or, or, or whether it's a, a children's Christmas performance or production where, where cute little kids grab their dad's bathrobes and, and a stick and, and are the shepherds in the play. We, we see these images of shepherds, often cute, often clean often very nice looking guys. And yet the reality is the Christmas story would reveal something very different in this birth announcement to these shepherds. There's a lot written about shepherds that you can read and study. But but one thing we know for sure is, is the shepherds made their living on the outskirts of society. These really were guys that were living on the fringes. And, and these were guys that, that really had a very dirty job. I mean, they, they lived out in a field with a bunch of dirty, stinking, really dumb sheep. That, that was their, their entire existence, was, was spending time with these sheep. And many times shepherds were, were really not highly regarded they did not have positions of influence or power. They, they many times were not even thought highly of at all. In fact, there was a, an ancient Jewish custom that said you should not spend time with heathens or shepherds. These were dirty guys. These were guys that, that really lived away from everybody else. And, and some of their, their livelihood, it was generational, would be passed down from father to son. But, but many times shepherds would end up in this profession because there was really nowhere else for them to go but to find a job living in a field again with some dirty, nasty, stinking, dumb sheep. These were not important men. And so it's very interesting that the word of God is very intentional to show us that the birth announcement of the Savior was not a birth announcement delivered to Caesar's palace in in Rome. The birth announcement of the Savior was not delivered to the religious elite in the temple or proclaimed from the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies. No, the birth announcement of the Savior comes to this ragtag group on the fringes of society 
outside of the little town of Bethlehem, living out in the fields, watching over these sheep. Is this just random? Is this just a sweet part of the story? Or is there something very specific and very intentional that that the word of God wants us to see, that God himself wants us to see about this announcement of the Savior who is born? I want to turn your attention to a quote from a commentary on Luke's gospel written by Stephen Cole, a, a pastor. He, he writes this. He says, God puts his cookies on the bottom shelf. I love that statement. God puts his cookies on the bottom shelf. If the gospel were some complicated philosophy that required a high IQ and years of study to grasp, then those who had obtained it could congratulate themselves on how much more intelligent they were than the rest of the population. Those who are not as intellectually gifted as others could never hope to qualify for salvation. But the beauty of the good news about Christ is that it first was announced to lowly shepherds. They probably couldn't read or write. They weren't leadership material, but God's love in Christ extended to them. The danger is that we will miss the gospel because it is so simple. This is at the heart of Christmas. The Savior born in a little town of Bethlehem, as we talked about last week, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. And then the announcement of this birth made to a, again, ragtag group of lowly shepherds on the outskirts of society to communicate very specifically what is proclaimed in Luke chapter two, uh, verses eight through 10. This is good news of great joy. Don't miss this for all the people. I think about the The song that we sang when I was a kid that we learned in church, the song was called Deep and Wide. Not gonna sing it, but I'll just tell you what it said. Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. We had those cute hand motions. And it was reminding us, it was reminding us that the love of God was a fountain flowing deep and wide. There was enough love from God for all who would receive him. But not only that, it reminds us of the depth of the riches of the, of the word of God. That this message is, is, is proclaimed to all people. This message can be understood by, by a little child. In fact, the word of God says it's faith like a child that receives the good news of the gospel. And at the same time, while a child can understand the love of God on display and the good news that the Savior has come, uh, an academic intellectual elite can spend their entire life in theological study and never truly even scratch the surface of the depth of the riches of the word of God. This message is, is proclaimed so that all 
can not only hear, but all have the invitation to understand. And, and the very way this message is brought forth to these shepherds, it is intentional. It is to show that this, this gospel, please don't hear this, the word I would use is, is accessible. The gospel is accessible. The good news of Christmas is accessible. This is not just for the religious elite. This is not just for those who have attended a Christmas service their entire life. This is not just for those who have studied more than anyone else. And this is not just for those who have built their life trying to be good and moral and different from the world around them. This message is accessible to anyone who recognizes their need for the Savior. This is good news of great joy for all the people. And that's why this birth announcement is brought to the shepherds before anyone else to make it explicitly clear that the gospel is accessible because the Savior has Come, it's not about what you have done. It's not about the way you have lived. It's not about your education or your prestige or your influence. It is all about the Savior knowing that you and I could not get to him no matter how hard we try because of our sin. So he has come to us. Emmanuel has come to us to dwell among men made explicitly clear through the announcement to these shepherds that this is accessible to all who would believe. I love the way the apostle Paul writes of this at the beginning of, of one of his letters to the church in Corinth. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter one. Look at what the word of God says through the apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the spirit of God as he writes. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, listen, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Think about these words, especially in light of what we see in the story of Christmas God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose some shepherds to hear this message. A bunch of fools living out in a field with some sheep. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Is there anything more weak than a newborn baby completely helpless completely defenseless, completely reliant on its mother and father to care for its every need. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. This is on display at Christmas so that we could all see that this is not about you trying to figure all of this out on your own so that you can make your life worthy of God so that you could somehow save yourself. No, this is about revealing how much we need the Savior and revealing that the message of the gospel and the Savior who has come, it is accessible to all who will belief. But when this, when this good news is revealed, 
when the glory of God is first revealed to these shepherds, they actually respond in, in a pretty interesting way, but, but a way that if we stop and think about it, should not surprise us at all. What does it say in Luke chapter two, verse nine? It says they were filled with fear, right? I mean, think about this. What starts as a normal night for these guys, just like every other night in the, in the fields with these sheep, all of a sudden becomes a night where everything changes. The sky explodes. An angelic host is proclaiming this amazing good news of great joy to all the people. And the shepherds see this and the shepherds hear this and they are filled with fear. What's that all about? As I read that verse, it just strikes me that when these shepherds came encounter, came face to face with this this absolutely majestic, powerful, otherworldly, supernatural appearance in the sky above them, the only thing they could feel is very small. And when you feel very small, it's a scary feeling. They may have thought they were pretty strong, you know, fighting off the wolves and keeping the sheep away, but, but all of a sudden there is something in the sky above them that is so much greater, so much more majestic, so much more powerful than anything that they had ever even considered. And all of the sudden they feel very, very small. It reveals who they truly are. It reveals that, they, that they, can't, they can't defend themselves from whatever this is going on in the sky. They, they, can't, they can't overcome whatever's going on in the sky. They are completely defenseless. They are completely helpless, helpless and they are very small. When they see the glory of God, it reveals who they truly are. Have you ever felt like you're kind of kind of good at something, maybe you have a hobby that, that you like to, to do, you know, play golf or, or fish or something like that. And, and you feel like you're pretty good, but then, then all of a sudden you, you, you step into the presence of someone who's actually good. Like they make their living doing this, they're that good, you know. They, and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I, I'm just, I'm not as good as I, as I thought I was. I think back to when our kids were real little and, and they were, you know, toddler age and, and we, would, we would play football in the den on, on, our, on our carpeted den and, and I would get down on my knees, you know, to, to play football with the kids. And, and here's what I would tell you about those football games when, when dad was on his knees, like no matter what they tried, I was the MVP of every game. I could score every time. You know, I could, I could uh, throw the elbow real quickly and knock them down. They weren't tackling dad. I mean, I was on my knees. They had an advantage, but there was nothing they could do about my great power and ability as a football player in my den. But I was going to tell you, I've seen some good football players. I've been to some real football games. I've watched our, our, our fellows from Parker play ball in the semifinals. They're good football players. I am not a good football player. I, I've, I've been to a couple NFL games. I, I've been to some pretty amazing college football games. I have seen some guys that can play some ball. And when I'm around those guys that can play some ball, I'm not bringing up what I did in the den because I've been put in my place. It reveals I'm not a football player. And that little example just 
gives us a slight little insight into just maybe a fraction of what those shepherds must have felt when, when the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were terribly afraid. They were filled with fear because all of the sudden they are coming face to face, not only with this amazing display in the sky, they're coming face to face with who they are. And compared to the glory of God, compared to the majesty of the angelic hosts and the heavenlies, that they are not in, these shepherds are not impressive at all. And it creates this great fear. You better believe the shepherds felt incredibly insignificant, incredibly small in this moment. And this is what the glory of God does. This is what the word of God does when the word of God begins to read us. I'm gonna turn your attention to a passage of scripture in Hebrews and then we'll come back to Luke 2, Hebrews chapter four, we are given insight about the word of God from the word of God. The writer of Hebrews is telling us about the authority of the word of God and what the word of God does when it begins again to read us. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews 4 verse 12 and following. He says, for the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And listen to this. this. This is sobering to hear. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account a very sobering reality that the word of God communicates about the word of God. This says when you, when you actually are honest and read the word of God for what it says and invite the word of God to read you, the word of God is gonna go straight to the heart. It's gonna cut right through everything else to the heart of the matter. And it's gonna begin to reveal some things about your life that, that are completely away from God's best for your life. It's gonna reveal some sin. It's gonna, it's gonna reveal some rebellion. It's gonna reveal some disobedience. It's gonna reveal some attitudes of the heart and some intentions of the thoughts that are actually very far from God's best for your life. And that's hard. It's really, really hard. When it begins to reveal who you are, the the word of God reveals that, that I need a savior. The word of God reveals that you need a savior. The word of God reveals that on my best day, I will never be good enough to earn the love of God. And neither will you. That's hard to hear. It's the glory of God through the word of God reveals who we truly are. But please don't miss this. That's not the end of the story. And just like those shepherds were terrified in that moment when the sky lit up with the glory of God, and just like many of us at, at times have been completely knocked back on our heels by the word of God calling out in us the things that, that, that should require repentance, the things that should be brought to the Lord, the places where we need forgiveness, the places where we've been self-righteous or prideful, the places where we have allowed sin to overcome us. Those, those moments can be very difficult. 
And that reality, being honest about who we are, can be very, very challenging to admit. But the word of God does not leave us there. And the gospel does not leave us there. And that's what we see in this birth announcement of the angels to the shepherds. While the shepherds are initially terrified, they're not left in their fear. For that's when we see this proclamation of good news. Luke chapter two, verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the shepherds were terrified, rightly so. But the angel says, fear not for Jesus, the savior has not come to destroy you. The Savior has not come to cast you aside. No, fear not. There is good news of great joy for all the people that the Savior has come to save. He has come to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He has come to, to make a way where there was no way. Because we could not get to him, he has come to us. Fear not, for the Savior has come. I want to think about that for just a moment and talk about that for just a moment. Fear not, for behold, there is good news of great joy for all the people that the Savior has been born. If you were to describe your story right now, the circumstances you're walking through, the things that you have experienced here recently in your life, would your story be described more as a story that is full of fear or a story that is full of joy? I'm not talking about surface level happiness or, or, or being frivolous and giddy and acting like there's no problems in the world. No, I'm talking about joy. Joy that, that is alive and well, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Is your story a story of fear or is your story a story of joy? For the glory of God leads us from fear to joy. I'm gonna read you a quote from Timothy Keller as he writes about this encounter at Christmas between the angels and the shepherds. He says this, now it follows that if you have a perfect relationship with the all-powerful loving Lord of the world, you would have no fear at all. You would not be afraid of him or of anything else. We fear rejection and failure. But if you are completely filled with God's love, you would not care what other people thought. We fear the future and circumstances, but if you knew God perfectly and that he is good and in control, you would trust him. And you wouldn't be afraid of death because you would know you would be with him forever. Now, how can this be true? For many people in the church, many people who call themselves Christians walk through many difficult things and fear becomes the describer of their story. 
How, how could it be true that if we, if we truly know God, we, we will not fear? How could it be true that if we really trust God, that, that fear will be removed? Is that even possible? Can that be our reality? With that question in mind, let's turn real quickly to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, before we conclude our time in Luke 2 this morning, I want to turn your attention to several verses in this great letter of the Apostle John that tells us all about the love of God, this in-depth look at the love of God. In chapter 4 specifically, John is writing about God's love. And I want you to see what the Word of God says here, beginning in verse 14 of 1 John chapter 4. This beautiful text. It says, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That, that's what we're talking about right now from Luke's gospel. The, the birth announcement of the angels to the shepherds says the Savior has come. John says, we testify to this good news. And then verse 15 says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now it seems like John is writing from the school of redundancy school here. Like why is he saying the same thing over and over again? If you abide in God, God abides in you. If you abide in God, you abide in love. Love abides in God. Why is he saying this over and over and over again? He wants us to make sure we do not miss this point. It's so incredibly important. And this is where he leads us, verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Listen to this. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. What is that all about? We're, we're going to look at one more verse. What is that all about? This is so important. John is saying, if you abide in God, if you have a relationship with God through Christ the Son, through the Savior that has come, the love of God perfectly abides in you. And, and here's what he reveals, verse 17. You have what Christ has. Don't miss this. You have, if you are in Christ, if Christ abides in you, if you abide in Christ, meaning you have trusted your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You have surrendered your life to Christ as your Savior and your Lord. If you are in Christ, you have what Christ has. Why does that matter? Because John tells us, we're all gonna stand and face judgment. And the thought of facing judgment is terrifying. It's terrifying. In fact, there are, there are, I would venture to guess, many people here today who have spent a lot of time in church throughout your life and still to this day, the thought of facing judgment at the end of your life, it's a terrifying thought. And some of you would even say, gosh, I hope, I hope I'm going to be okay on that day. I hope that, that, that when I stand in judgment, I will have done enough. I hope, 
And it's a terrifying thought to be unsure of what we might face in judgment. And so John says over and over and over again, if you abide in God and, and his son abides in you, then you abide in his love and his love abides in you. And you don't miss this. You have everything that the Savior has. Why is that important? Because when you stand in judgment, you will stand in judgment in light of what the Savior has done. You will not stand in judgment in light of what you've done or how many Christmas services you attend or how, how good of a person you were compared to your neighbor. That, that would be terrifying. No, you will stand in judgment in light of what the Savior has done. And then look at what he says next. Look at the conclusion that he leads us to in verse 18. Because of this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear, listen to this, fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, we fear this judgment. We fear this punishment. We fear the circumstances that we know we deserve, if we're honest, for the things that we've done. But if we have received the perfect love of God, the endless love of God, the unshakable, eternal love of God, if we have received the love of God, the only perfect love that there is comes from the perfect love of God. If that is our reality through the gift of salvation, there's no reason to fear. Because we know that the God who perfectly loves us will never forsake us or leave us. We know, as John writes in this letter, that those who have the Son have the life and can know in confidence that we will be with the Lord forevermore. Perfect love casts out fear. Do you know this love? Is your story more a story of fear? Or is your story more a story of joy? For the glory of God leads us from fear to joy as the good news of God's love becomes our story through the Savior who has come. Finally, let's return to where we started in Luke 2 verse 8. And let's be reminded that the glory of God not only reveals who we are and our need for the Savior, and the glory of God shows us what the Savior has done in leading us from fear to joy, but we are reminded here as the angels appear to the shepherds that the glory of God completely changes our perspective. Luke chapter 2, again, verse 8 says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. It was just a normal, ordinary night like any other night for these guys. They were not expecting a birth announcement. They certainly weren't expecting the skies to explode with an angelic host. It was just a normal, ordinary night for these guys. Think about that. 
For some of you, I believe today was probably just a normal, ordinary Sunday morning. Some of you have been to church services many times throughout your life and you've been to a lot of different Christmas services. And, and even though there's a lot going on and you're incredibly busy, this day, today was just a normal Sunday morning, just kind of going through the motions of what you do this time of year. And, and some of you, I know you look forward to, to, to gathering together in worship, but some of you, you're, you're still kind of maybe on the fence about it. You're like, I know we're supposed to do it, but... I really have a lot of other things going on in my life and my family wants me to be there, but, but I'm really, really busy. And some of you've heard this Christmas story a thousand times, but it's never really changed anything for you. And now all of a sudden there's some preacher up there kind of yelling at you and talking about the glory of God and talking about what the love of God can do to your story. And, and maybe, maybe you're going, okay, well, that sounds nice, but that doesn't sound like what I experienced at Christmas. And so maybe, maybe you're here today, just on a normal day, kind of going through the motions of the holiday season, but in your heart of hearts, you know there's been something missing. And you've been familiar with Jesus and you've been familiar with the story of Christmas, but you're still a little bit afraid of that day of judgment. And what will that be like for you? And have you done enough? And are you good enough? And are you gonna make the cut? And, and what that actually is revealing is that perhaps you've never truly received this gift of perfect love. Maybe, maybe you've never received what is revealed as the glory of God shows up that changes your perspective altogether and changes your life altogether. These, these shepherds were just going through the motions of a normal night and out of nowhere, seemingly, their world gets flipped upside down. And they respond to the birth announcement, they go and they see that the Savior has been born. And, and we can read about this. We'll talk about this later in Luke's gospel. They are changed. They, they can't help but talk about what they've seen. They can't, they want to talk about sheep. They want to talk about the Savior. Their story changes completely because they receive the good news of great joy made available to all the people. Maybe you're here today and you've heard about this many times, but you've never truly received this gift in a personal way. Good news of great joy for all the people that the love of God has been perfectly displayed through the Son of God who has come to take on flesh, to live a life without sin, to give that perfect life at the cross for your sin and for mine, to defeat sin and death once and for all through the power of the resurrection. Maybe today is the day just a normal Sunday that your eyes have been opened to your need for the Savior. And your eyes have been opened to the perfect and endless love of God that casts out fear and invites you to stand right before God forevermore. Because if you are in Christ, you have what the Savior has. Maybe today is, is the time for you to receive that gift, 
and to trust your life to Jesus Christ. I'm gonna have a word of prayer for us as we close our time together. And I just wanna invite you, if you're here today, knowing that you need what the Savior alone can provide, would you just, during this prayer time, take a moment to be with the Lord and to invite Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. Let's pray together now. Father, I thank you for the privilege that it is in this Christmas season to be reminded of the cross and the manger, just as we sung earlier. I'm so grateful to, to be reminded of the gift that you have provided, good news of great joy for all the people. And I know so many here today celebrate that gift and love this season and love what we're reminded of through the good news that the Savior has come. But Father God, I also know that anytime we gather like this, there are those listening, those among us who, who are familiar with the story of Christmas, maybe even familiar with Jesus, but they've never truly trusted their life to the Savior. And they've never personally received this perfect love casts out fear and invites us to stand right with you in the day of judgment because of what Christ has done. And so Lord, for anyone among us who realizes today that they need a relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it is my prayer that you would give them the faith to simply say, Jesus, I am ready to trust you. Jesus, I am ready to follow you. Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. I can't save myself. I'm asking you to be my savior and my Lord. I'm ready to live in this good news of great joy that the perfect love of God has been extended to me through Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for that gift. And thank you for the celebration of Christmas. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen.